0: Shut up, I love it!
1: Shut up! I love it! Shut up! And settle, settle, settle. Sound speed, sound speed. Camera rolling, and...
2: <laughs> shut up!
1: I love it. This is Shut Up, I love it. And I'm Joe Cabello with...
0: Sasha Pfeiler, And we got a very special guest today on the show he is an improviser based you guys he's based as we speak in johannesburg south africa our first like i don't know very distant guest like super distant guest he is an improviser and the founder of the assembly improv south africa boom he was like trained as a classical musician for 25 years he's been teaching music i mean there's a lot a lot to talk about this dude but let's introduce him right now welcome paul rabinowitz I
2: love it. hey 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 oh, look at that yeah. look
0: at that voice listen to it listen enjoy
2: this voice <laughs> <laughs>
0: Enjoy the base. I'm really
2: glad that I'm your first uh, international guest. Yes, very Double special. Double first. International <laughs> and
1: 2021.
2: So you have a couple badges uh, <gasps> that you could take home with you today. Yeah, that's good. That's a, a new world order, hopefully, from that's from this
0: week. Uh, well, Paul, we're super excited to talk to you about... Tell us what we're going to hear talk about.
2: We're going to talk about the comeback HBO series from 2005. Wow. Starring the star... Or well, the actress from Mad About You, mm. Lisa Kudrow. Uh,
1: is any of that true? <laughs>
2: she was Ursula in Mad About You. I don't know if you remember that before Friends.
1: Really? I, what, I don't remember yeah. that in Mad About You. What? Who was she in Mad About You?
2: She was, I think she became, they retrofitted as Phoebe's twin sister, Ursula.
0: I don't know much uh-huh. about that part of uh, pop culture. It's all like a blur to me because I was in yeah. Siberia. But um, from friends on, I feel like I can handle, I can handle that timeline. But oh my God, come back. So HBO's come back. Paul, tell us about it. I guess start off with saying what is like a quick premise of the show and then why is it a good subject for this podcast?
2: The premise of the show is, it's more relevant now than it was then, but it's it's the comeback of a, a fading sitcom star. 10 to 12 years past her prime, past the sitcom, and now they're making a reality show about her comeback into the world of show business.
1: Yes, it's a very show show. The inner workings of showbiz.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, like just basically the industrial side of Hollywood in other way, Like sort of what's the meat and like the nuts and bolts of making somebody maybe mediocre, maybe not the best or the worst, but just something that just happens right and left probably in Hollywood all the time. And all the people that surround this making of this person. Um, so, Paul, tell us why is this uh, show a good uh, subject for Shut Up? I love it.
2: Well, personally, I think it's Lisa Kudrow's best work that she's ever done, you know. Uh, and I think nobody knows about the show whenever you speak, because mm-hmm. there's some catchphrases in the show, which I think I've only heard one person say in the last ten years since I've known about the show. So it's not something where the catchphrase, "Oh, I don't want to see that," or, uh, <laughs> or those kinds of things. So nobody, the catchphrases are not in popular culture, and. I don't think the show is, because it didn't really do well, even though it had a second season nine years later, Mm -hmm. it still has remained one of Lisa's, uh, I think, uh, undervalued gems.
1: Yeah, and do you think it got lost a little bit in the Friends cast doing things after Friends hubbub? Because a lot of them have had a lot of shows, some of which are also like actor shows or showbiz shows. I think uh, Matt LeBlanc has Mm -hmm. had or has one of those. Yeah, yeah. there's a couple, They seem to
2: want to do that, is like do things around the entertainment world. Matt LeBlanc was in episodes, Mm -hmm. which he's playing himself in that kind of series, and that's also more recent. And then there was uh, Matthew Perry was in Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Oh,
0: another show that just didn't last.
2: (laughs) I really enjoyed that show personally,
1: but yeah. Shout out
0: to Aaron Sorkin. I do think it
1: got lost a little bit in that
2: in that hubbub a bit. And do you know what uh, network it originally aired on? It was HBO and it was airing in the same slot or with Entourage at that mm-hmm. time.
0: And what a hot show that was at the time. And Entourage is yeah. a whole, like I've read, there's just so much um, of influence and, and like sort of negative influence that Entourage uh, has created for Comeback. Because Entourage was a lot more popular show yeah. and uh, probably a reason why, one of the many reasons why Comeback wasn't popular. Yeah, and were like, similar. Oh, we're yeah, similar, exactly. And For they were sure. like following following each other.
2: Yeah, um, and I don't think that the, the Entourage was a, a boys, sex in the city type show. Mm-hmm where this is a lot of more subtle, more awkward humor that I don't think the audience carried across very well. Very cringe humor, yeah. which we'll get into.
0: I, yeah, I definitely want to get into that later as part of the, all the discussion of um, why is this so, show so special and maybe one of the reasons also why the show didn't take off.
1: Yeah, because I agree that like this is a show I had heard of from like TV people, people who... like. You know, they're like, oh, no, this show, you got to watch this show. But, like, it hasn't gone to the mainstream, you know, where my parents know about it, which, you know, that's always the test. Like, does my mom know about that actor or that show? If they don't, then that person's not mainstream. But, yeah, I've, like, heard little birdies about the show, how Mm -hmm. good it is. Um, But, yeah, never saw it. In 05, I was completely unaware of it, which I blame just HBO. Well, you were six
0: years old, right? In
1: <laughs> six years old, yeah. <laughs> uh, not that young, but yes, I wasn't able to buy HBO. And HBO wasn't as easy to get as it is now. It's mm-hmm. now absurdly easy. A teenager could get HBO. A teenager could not decide to they get... Should. They should get HBO, for sure. It has <laughs> a lot of great family content. But like, let's say a 16-year-old or even like a 20-year-old um, in 05... You don't just order HBO. You have to have a cable package and then buy HBO. It's a very, it was a lot of bars of entry. So for me, like I only have known about the show in this like list of unearthed gems. So I was very mm-hmm. excited when you uh, brought this up because like, oh, I finally get to watch this, and I think this is a perfect un like underserved, underrated category. What about you, Sasha? Were you familiar with this?
0: Yeah, I. This is interesting. I, you know, this is one of those episodes, which doesn't happen a lot, but it's it's hard to contain my emotions. So the end, because I fucking absolutely love this show. Like, let's just let the we've given
1: up on that. We've (laughs) given up on hiding our emotions for the. I I think it started once I showed up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, we're it's walking impossible. away from it, we're walking away from it, like, there's no, it's very hard to uh, do that, and it doesn't make sense why we even did it in the first place, but, yeah, I absolutely love this show, it, it was, I saw it probably first time about eight years ago, so, you guys do the math, I can't do the math, but, yeah, it was a while ago, right, and I kind of forgot, like, the the meat of the show, so, I sat down to watch the three episodes Which, uh, that you know, Paul told us to watch is the first, second, and third, just to start it off. Since it's heavily serialized, you want to watch it in order. And I ended up watching the whole first season, like in two days, because it was like I just couldn't stop. I was like praying that the world would not distract me from it because it absolutely just sucks me in. And and you know, some things like definitely seem like more dated, just a little bit, you're like, oh, it's a little dated. you're like oh you're talking about the generation that now is not like super like super young but in this show but it's it's super like translates into everything that's just universal it's so specific that it is universal and I and I love the show so I have seen it before and I ended up watching season one and I actually probably will end up re-watching season two as well yep
1: yeah, this is a show, I feel like the show could be made just how it is now, today, but if it was like, no, we're setting it in 2005, you know, like, mm-hmm. we're making it this year, but it's, and it would, like, it still really works, um, it was almost, it almost, I don't know, it's timeless as far as what the entertainment industry is, but we can get into that, why don't we talk about what you love about it, maybe even starting with Lisa um, well,
2: Have yeah. you? are you a you fan,
0: th- like, uh, in general, of friends and stuff? Oh yeah,
2: what were you gonna ask, Paul? Now I was a fan of Friends, not as Mm -hmm. much as I think Seinfeld, which was Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. you know kind of running parallel for a time. But have you heard of the uh, Lisa's other show, Web Therapy? Not. I
0: I have heard of it because I (laughs) listened to an interview on Fresh Air when it came out, but I did not watch it. Is it is it? Is it like a similar character vibe? Well, that's also, enough?
2: it's a it's a four-season show that was on Showtime that also nobody knows about.
0: Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm.
2: And the premise there, she's just a therapist doing therapy online. Perfect for COVID times. Sure, so that's sure. Kind of,
0: that's incredible. But mm-hmm. it's
2: amazing how, well, while I consider Lisa Kudrow's best work um, after Friends, or even with Friends into account, mm-hmm. is hardly known, I think, because she's such a character actor. She's not a a Jennifer Aniston type uh, type movie. Yeah,
1: and I think as much as I love her on Friends, I think the show does a disservice to her and pigeonholed her. And she's almost, she is a big part of the show, but if you were to rank like the importance of the Friends, you almost could take Phoebe out of that show and the show would still function. She is kind of like the auxiliary comedy uh, of the show just like the side character almost um, at least in my opinion but I think yeah. it doesn't show what she can really do because she's just straight a wacky wackadoodle that's her character there's yeah. no real like anchor versus this show like what her character is so anchored in like a specificity that I think it's really showing something off versus like here's someone who's just crazy
0: absolutely i mean the yeah i was just gonna i I was gonna let paul talk but uh, just quick thing i actually only saw the pilot of france because i didn't like it i didn't like it and i saw it recently because it just never like i never watched friends it's just one of those things i'm like on purpose avoided it and i watched the pilot and i was like okay i know why i didn't watch the show um (laughs) but uh but i do love seinfeld absolutely but yeah but it, it makes me what you just said joe made me think of one of the quotes from comeback Where uh she tells her husband, Lisa's character, uh Valerie Cherish, says to her husband, Mark Marky Mark, (laughs) which is not Marky Mark, (laughs) but she tells him that uh she's like, Look, they're they're making me part of the B story in the in in this like episode that's coming up. And he said, Well, how many stories are there? And she doesn't answer. Because it's really two stories, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so the question is, where, where was she before then? And of course, she was just there, like a side jokes, like a runner. And I, it sounds like in France, she kind of had that uh, role as well a lot of times, right? Just like a fun button or something. Yeah, like I mean, that. and
1: the, not to discount her um, her characters, uh, I guess weight in that show. She had plenty of B stories and A stories, but <laughs> a little bit she. I think the fact that her character was so unanchored in any reality that it made it maybe harder to
2: give her a lot of stories. Yeah. And, and Lisa is from the groundlings. So mm-hmm. characters uh, is what she does best, and she's great at that. And this is from interviews saying this Valerie Cherish type character is something that she worked on before uh, the show even mm-hmm. came into existence. So this kind of character was in her, and it was, uh, you know, uh, popping up through the years so she finally made a script out of it so
0: Paul when you say that you love the show because I I mean I have so many feelings about it and I want to hear from you what makes this show like when we say it's the best um, or one of the best shows I mean and a lot of times actually so we were talking about ratings let's back up for a second we're talking about ratings is what killed the show right like what didn't make another episode happen but the uh, critics love this show right like we should mention that and it's often Brought up as a show ahead of its time, which Paul you already said, and a show that is one of the best shows like in the last ten years. Probably talking about the first de- decade of this uh, millennia millennium. Um, but what are the what are the reasons that you love the show so much? Besides maybe, you know what we discussed, like the the excitement of seeing the Hollywood from inside out or Lisa's work. What else?
2: Well, I think because I was also, I am a Curb Your Enthusiasm fan. Mm-hmm. So I so think it's also very much the, the honesty, the raw, the, the raw humor, uh, and that, that, that awkwardness that is so, cre- I'm something that I c- can't stare at the television if it gets too embarrassing for me, mm. but you can't mm-hmm. look away. Mm-hmm. It's like a horror movie for me. And for me, that's just, it's the real humor that, you, it's not telling you when to laugh because you find it funny and it appeals to what you think is, is funny.
1: Yeah, it's that cringe humor that just comes from great characters. Like, this is the epitome of, like, character making choices writing and making interesting choices. And that means they're usually making the wrong choice. (laughs) And it just, it makes for incredible drama. But also, like, it reminds me of a lot of Will Forte's work as well Mm -hmm. and Larry David, where you're like, oh, my gosh, this is a person (laughs) who cannot stop stepping in shit.
0: The best, both and, of them.
1: Yeah, it, I love that type of stuff. How about? Are you usually a fan of entertain things that are behind the scenes, mm-hmm. entertainment industry stuff, Paul?
2: I generally am, and I, I love the generally the meta concepts of shows about shows. So, like season four of Seinfeld, when they made an episode, mm-hmm. they were making Jerry.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Yeah. That was my favorite season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I love the authors and the, the meta commentary and the references that are built in.
0: That's interesting, because uh, while you say you love it, I think it's one of the reasons why the show didn't go. It's because it is a true turnoff. Um, well, let's, let's again, let's back up, guys, because there's so much to say. But let's just yeah. s- describe the format of the show a little bit, right? Like, yeah, because I was do? surprised.
1: I... Can- I knew yeah, about please. the show, but oh. I was so
2: surprised. So please tell yeah. us. Like, explain. Yeah, we need to echo what the sociologist Carl Mannheim said when he speaks about the existential determination of knowledge.
0: Please, whatever that how is. things are
2: perceived yeah. at the moment of their creation. <laughs> so in 2005, <laughs> this Amazing. is more than 12 months after Friends has ended. Right? There is no The Office. There's no Parks and Recreation. So there's almost no... Interview documentary style mm-hmm. shows on the air.
0: Mm-hmm. Comedies, right. Would,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, and that would let people get away into how do I approach this show, even the confessional nature of the show or the behind the scenes. So, had this been aired later, I think The Office of those kind of shows would sort have of warmed people up into how do we ex- uh, make these characters more accessible.
0: Yeah, I don't remember exactly when Office, uh, the U.S. Office, came out. I do not remember that date. Um, probably easy to check because I'm in front of my computer.
2: 2007 or 2006 or seven, I think.
0: Um, So, but it is, what I think is interesting is that um, there's just a format, right? What, what we see a lot is that we see a lot of the crew that's filming this reality uh, show that Lisa's character... Valerie Cherish is in so what happens again um it's like how Paul you you described that Lisa is uh Lisa's character Valerie Cherish hasn't uh she was in some mediocre sitcom and she was popular 10 years before the events taking place in the show and she hasn't really worked since then and so she's recognizable by, by a lot of fans but it's just there's no future for her, 30. and she's nearing 40 or whatever, however, however old she is. And she gets this offer to play, play a very small part on a very cheesy uh, sitcom. Like a very kind of trashy, but at the same time, probably a lot of money in it, sitcom, and Hollywood. And she thinks this is her big comeback. But the only way she gets the part on the show is if in the conjunction uh, with that part, she's also f- allowing the reality crew to film her life and have this you know reality show called The Comeback about her. So we are watching the found footage. From the comeback.
1: Yeah, it's essentially a mockumentary. Would you all agree that this, yes, yeah. the format is mockumentary?
0: That's true. I should have just said that mockumentary instead of describing yeah. everything in such but, detail.
2: <laughs> and that's the interesting part. There's no credits in the show. Mm-hmm. You're not watching it from a fourth wall perspective. Everything that you're watching is footage from the documentary that they've shot. Yeah.
0: What do you mean when you say no credits? I, I'm missing.
2: When you, uh, yeah, at least the version that I've seen, it just starts. Uh, test pattern, raw right.
0: footage. Right, right, there's right. No, it's there's no credits, there's
2: no names at the beginning, that's true. there's no HBO
0: theme. I see what you mean. I haven't been... Yeah, that's, that's a great point, yeah. Yeah,
2: there's no, like, title
1: splash. Mm-hmm. The yeah. comeback. It mm-hmm. definitely, like, feels like you just hit play on their tapes or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah.
0: And so a lot of this footage, and I suspect, again, that that might have been one of the reasons why people uh, did not um, watch the show in big numbers is because we see the actual crew we see the producer the reality producer jane behind this we see her on camera we see this you know guy with a boom mic there's like an audio guy that becomes kind of funny uh minor character later on and i think it is a lot of times it's still a turn-off for people so maybe not be turn off for us but it's probably a harder way to get into it you know, knowing yeah. that that's what it's about.
1: That That's what people have... I've always heard that, especially during, like, Oscar season, when a movie about m- movies comes out, and it does well in Oscar season, but, like, people just kind of sort of showed up for it because mm-hmm. they say, hey, like, middle America doesn't give a shit about Hollywood. And, like, even though shows like Entourage might succeed, they've, like, the focus isn't necessarily the production. Like, this is, like, very much... Super behind the inside baseball of how shows are made and stuff like that. So I think that might be a bit of a turn off for your average viewer where they're just like, I don't
2: care, actually. And there's no star. Lisa's the only star in the show. Mm-hmm. Um but, but all the cast is Malin Ackerman, there's Billy Porter. Uh, they're they're not well known at that time Mm -hmm. in 2005. Mm -hmm. Jane is played by Laura Silverman, Sarah Silverman's sister who is not a known actress. Mm -mm. I think she was in the Sarah Silverman program Uh, but she's great as Jane but Mm she never really was a professional actress after that so much.
0: So. Uh this is interesting. So we're talking about the insider, so how the show is very much like inside Hollywood. And so it could be something that you're getting, you know, into or something that immediately you're like, I'm never gonna watch that. Um, you know, just because our guest, Paul, you are in not in Hollywood, as far as I know. You could be lying to me. You could be in Hollywood, you could be right next to the (laughs) Hollywood sign with a black backdrop behind you. But uh supposing you are in Johannesburg, uh, South Africa. I mean, have you been to Hollywood? Like, why does this? I'm just imagining myself. Like, even forget about me living in Siberia till I was 19. I'm just talking about me living in my 20s in New York, and like, say trying to watch the show. I'd be like, who cares? Like, I don't. I, I'm not responding. I, I suspect that that's what I would be saying if I, you know, if I saw the show then. Um, how come you, you know, you you do you you enjoyed these? stereotypical a lot of times characters for example a director that no like the pushover director tv director that comes back or um or uh, the writers
1: the way the writers are yeah the asshole
0: writers who think they're geniuses even though they're writing on a shitty sitcom i mean how you know what makes you so um you know appreciate this like i don't know archetypes i should say yeah not stereotypes archetypes of hollywood
2: I'm going to say to the nuances of the performances, uh, Lisa Kudrow driving it. That was the thing that that w- the, she was the shining diamond that really drew me in, and then mm-hmm. threw her to enter into Valerie, Ch- Valerie Cherish's world. Huh. It's such a because she's doing for in me in my head she's doing three different performances. She really is. She's, she's doing. Describe the, it mm-hmm. to the camera. She's doing the monologues and she mm-hmm. now. Even in private, she's t- pretending to be a little bit different. She's doing the performances in the scene when she's with the director, when she's with the husband. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a scenic performance, but she's aware that this camera's watching her, so she's monitoring her behavior.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: It's like the scene in the dressing room when she does the countdown, five, four, three, two, one, and then she starts like a conversation over again. Mm-hmm. And then she's the actress in the show within the show mm-hmm. as, as, uh, and sassy. And so you (laughs) think there's there's these different layers and nuances of these three types of performances that she's trying to give. And it's just, it's a virtuosic performance.
1: Yeah, it's so true. I like that you brought up the fact that here is somebody who is like a, a character, a person on their own, but we are seeing them being observed. So, of course, like their behavior has changed being observed. So they're totally different. Uh, and I find that fascinating with things like Borat. Like when I recently saw the newest Borat, and people criticizing the the normal people in that, I'm like, you can't really criticize them too hard because they are being observed. We're watching them mm-hmm. being observed. They know it. Their uh, their attitude, how their reactions are going to change, because they know a camera's there, and that's so interesting to have to like layer. Someone who isn't you as that character, and then how would they act when I'm being observed? And I think that is really such a delicate, fun performance that she's putting yeah. on.
0: And and it was like a very specific choice that she made to do it because the the you know it, it is as as unique the show is. There's still you know obviously like we mentioned, the like Office and um, uh, the Parks and Recreations. There's there's definitely like that format where we see people talk to the crew, then talk to the people around them, talk to the crew, talk to the people around them, or talk to the camera, I should say. Uh, But Lisa Kudrow is doing this thing that actually is the most unusual thing. And I'm saying it from the acting perspective because I used to take uh, this comedic uh, acting class, and uh, very amazing um, uh, Jackie Geary, uh, actor and herself and the teacher, she would bring up Lisa's performance in the show as something that she, like, cannot explain at all, basically what she's doing, because <laughs> not to get too into nuts and bolts of what Jackie teaches, but it's like, if you take two different types of characters in comedy, generally it's, like, people who are, like, you know, she... She calls them egos. It's people who are in different levels. They're they're completely clueless. They're not self-aware at all. They're not self-aware. So they're doing their thing. They could be um a diva or they could be childlike, but they're doing their uh, very not self-aware thing. But then there's the characters that are very self-aware. For example, Jameson Bateman, right, in Arrested Development, very self-aware, very grounded performance. He's like the eye of the shitstorm around him, like, and. What Lisa is doing is she's very self-aware, but in the same time, she's incredibly fucking clueless. Like she's doing two things at the same time, or it's like, she's incredibly switching between those two things. But it is, I think that's what creates the awkwardness. You really don't know, like she acts like a person who doesn't understand how social interactions work, but then she understands when she is being rejected. And and it hurts. It hurts to watch her go through that pain. But she keeps making the same mistakes. Like there's no it's 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 very like it blows my mind just thinking about it. Like how could she handle like just by her facial expressions that like that the, being in that body of this person.
2: I don't know. Guys. The way you've described it makes me think she's like Michael, Jim and Dwight from The Office all kind of rolled into one one person. <laughs> It's definitely clueless a th- but grounded <laughs> yeah. but uh, socially awkward at the same time. Well
1: yeah I think what's like funny about most characters is they just act right They just do the thing that they do their um, their personality and then they screw up because of that. Here's someone who's like, oh you know what I know that I need to act this way to look good or to make friends or to get better okay, I'm going to do that. So I think I'm doing the right thing, but then they're never doing the right thing. So it's like, it is those layers of someone who's like not even doing what's in their heart. The character is not doing what's in their heart. They're doing what they think will be the best, make them look the best. But in doing that is actually screwing up entirely. It's tragic. It's more tragic than someone just doing and screwing up
0: absolutely yeah and uh, tragic is a good word i think because there's something very like upsetting about the show and i think it's another reason why the show didn't become more successful because it's a comedy that bums you out like like it's it's upsetting to me how because it really shows the the emptiness of a lot of human interactions (laughs) you know like emptiness Mm. and like and and having uh like a Reason Because, you know, she's just, like, wants fame again. She wants to be famous.
1: She's just scared. Yeah, she's scared of
2: disappearing, yeah. you know? So yeah. she's willing to do anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why what? I think episode one, th- th- there's two jarring moments. is one which she's walking into HBO, and there's two other actresses and two other reality crews there. Right, yeah. she's
0: going there to be to audition for yeah. the sitcom, right? And there's already two other actresses <laughs> and their crews there.
2: Yeah, Mary Lou Hanna, and I can't remember the other one, but they're both kind of also like ninety sitcom stars. Mm-hmm. And already we, <laughs> we, we're we watching the show that is the air, which is Lisa's show, or Valerie's show, so we know that she gets the part <laughs> before, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. she goes in for the audition. And then later with the the director, that's the actual director, um, Jim Burrows, who directed Friends and Cheers and all Jim these. Jim Burrows,
0: uh, I asked my husband today, and he said uh, Jim, uh, Jay Hunter, former guest of the show, but he said Jim Burrows is the most, you know, the wealthiest TV director of all time. Like he created, because you know, once you create a pilot of a show that has billion seasons, like Cheers, you're super wealthy, and he's done it multiple times. So he plays himself, which I actually mm. think he does a great job. Yeah, yeah.
2: But there's that moment when he takes her behind this behind the set, and he says to her, "You're not it anymore." <laughs>
0: Oh man.
2: Yeah. That's the moment that lets us feel for her. And we see a brief moment of vulnerability when she, that's the only moment she thinks she's alone. Mm. At the same time, we see her producer, Jane's joy that they got that moment on camera. And that's the, and now, okay, now we see from her perspective, she's not it anymore. She's just this aging uh, sitcom star. And Mm. that's something I want to talk about as well. Uh, how old was Lisa Kudrow when you were making this? She looks fabulous. She
0: was, I think she's in her early forties because I looked her up. Yeah, I, I think she. I mean, I was. I want to say like forty two, forty three. But yeah, I she's don't know. 42. Yeah.
1: Was yeah. she at the time? She was that old. I thought she was, would be much younger.
2: <laughs> yeah, she right. was that old, forty two.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> like, I
1: thought Friends. I just thought she was like pretty young when Friends started and ended. So, but. That was
0: my research, yeah, that showed that she's in her early 40s, which, I mean, look, I think she looks like a good-looking, like, well-cared-for person in her early 40s, but she's surrounded by, like, 24-year-old babies, like, and babes, wearing nothing, like, literally, like, some of them wear nothing.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so, of course, it's that ensemble that makes you immediately feel, like, the, the dec- decade of that extra, like, you know, over however, I guess, 15 years older than them, um is what it just makes her look incredibly old even older than any woman in Hollywood is at that age
2: can i backtrack a little to please also ask you a question do you think it didn't one way it didn't do well is the inherent irony of lisa kudrow who's 12 months after starring in the most popular sitcom of all time starring in a show about an aging sitcom star making a comeback could people Um, buy into that premise
1: that that's a really good question because of course like i'm watching it now but even just this the talk of how old she was at the time of it if you would have told me how old is lisa kudrow 12 months after the end of friends i would have said like 28 29 Mm. because they were all like really young when they got that show i thought so yeah i think that would be weird while it's not as weird now like um the uh episodes show you're talking about um that like came so far gone that you're like oh this makes sense mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah that would feel a little weird for me thinking about that as yeah can we accept that even if she's able to play the hell out of it
2: because there's no irony in the show the show is very heartfelt she needs a comeback she wants a comeback compared to john mulaney who had a failed tv show and then does a sit- uh, a special called the comeback kid
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's
2: the built in irony of Mm -hmm. that kind of uh, performance.
0: I want to make a quick um, insert correction for what we said earlier. The uh, US, right? The US office? Yeah. Um, Office US first episode aired on March 24th, 2005. And comeback aired like a couple of months later. So I don't know if, I mean, obviously we're talking HBO versus NBC, but. i wonder if there is if there is um like we have already this show that's quote unquote better than just like watching comeback i don't know you know it's we're just trying I, to- I
1: think it's the hbo thing honestly i think it takes a lot for a show to kind of break out of that hbo yeah. bubble at that time mm-hmm. there's so many like probably classic shows even like oz which was on for so long actually i think that was stars or showtime but any of those like premium cable mm-hmm. shows they're really good, but you meet more people who haven't seen them than have.
0: Surprisingly, I mean, you know, Game of Thrones probably fewer people saw it than we than we imagine in our brains because yeah. You know. And that
1: was kind of at that shift where um, HBO had HBO Go. They mm-hmm. w- they had a lot more like avenues to watch it, and also password sharing because mm-hmm. HBO did go online um, if I you had think the login. Been- It's the most pirated show I think in history, the uh, Game of Thrones. Wow. Yeah, so you didn't really have that in 2005 on the level. Mm -hmm. Um, But just getting back to something you were talking about earlier, that that moment where they say you're not it anymore. I don't know if it was the same conversation, but um, in similar tone that the the director tells her, this isn't your show that documentary is your show. Oh. This is the car to get to that show. And it's tragic because she's like, but I want this to be my show. <laughs> like, you know that's what she's thinking.
2: That, that's episode three. Uh, that's a, a very important line, I think.
1: Yeah, that line was like huge because you know if she just internalized that and actually said like, you know what? Yes, I'll make the most out of this reality show. She could succeed so well, but she's fighting against it so much that she's Until just getting she's in her I still she's not,
0: way. right? I mean that is I don't know how many episodes you watched Joe. I
1: only saw 3.
0: Right. But so because the the big season arc is that she kind of accepts the role of I would you say Paul like, yeah. like yeah. she she fights for it almost, yeah. Yeah. Um, while still trying to, you know, maintain yeah. her presence in the world of sitcom.
2: And they do in one or two lines they do tie up that uh, this approach or attitude in season two, you know, which only came nine or mm-hmm. ten years later, which that she didn't know she was playing a character as mm-hmm. herself. In other words, she didn't appreciate the line that people would see the documentary not as her but as a her character in a way. Mm. Right,
0: right. The character which is, of
2: Valerie Cherish, not the not the person.
0: Of course, yeah, yeah. No, like we we've talked about this before on this podcast. How in reality shows uh, producers do refer to their um like reality stars as characters it's it's a, it's very rare that when they don't and specific example when they don't is tv show alone which of course is the best reality show ever made but um but usually they do refer uh, to people as characters in order to create that distance i think for themselves and for the viewers and for being able just like to tell a story however is the easiest um and most you know exciting
1: yeah and this show comes well before this It actually comes like in the storm of reality tv right like now we're in a post reality tv era where everybody can make fun of reality tv we kind of get it we still enjoy it but um this like in the middle of it was making fun of it
2: but the yeah in episode two when they have america's next porn star yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> they're really kind of making fun of of the reality show as it's as that industry genre is booming
0: yeah isn't that when like Paris Hilton was super popular? I was trying to remember two thousand five what was it like in the reality? yeah landscape? it was like m t
1: v had a lot of like cheap uh quick produced reality shows, every mm-hmm. network did, and they were just getting trashier and trashier mm-hmm. now we're so beyond America's next porn star, <laughs> you know like <laughs> that is. That's just like, could and should be a show.
0: No, it it did not, it did not, this, this, yeah, this parody did not strike me as uh, completely ridiculous. I was like, yeah, "Yeah, I, there's, there's worse stuff on TV right now. Exactly. Or when like people were freaking out because, um, of course, in the, um, in, in the pilot of Valerie Cherish's reality show, uh, she throws up and then there's, College G throws, or both of them throw up, and it's a double throw up, so called. And people cannot believe that they saw it on reality TV. Uh, and of course, we've seen it a billion times on any reality show. But um, but those are the things that sort of like yeah do create a little bit of um, distance for for us. Like we see it like okay maybe that's why the show didn't work out. But also just to imagine for me like you you sit down you're like okay I like Lisa Kudrow I'm gonna turn on this you know, pilot, and you start with her making the most incredible face straight into the camera <laughs> and in just acting like a complete, like, just like a disconnected lunatic. Um And it's, it's like, you may like it or you may be like, wait, I liked friends. I like the normal stuff. I'm going to go. Like, you know, and I I think that's, that's where it all fell apart. I don't know. We'll keep talking about why it's not successful. I think it's because we, at least two of us. But can I ask you, do you, because that ties in, do
2: you, I think like Larry David, he's a lovable asshole and he knows he's an asshole. Mm -hmm. But do you like Valerie Cherish?
1: No. I want to shake her. I want to talk, I want to take her aside and be like, hey, you know, if you don't, grip onto this thing so tightly you it will it will work out you know you you want to do that for her because she's just you i've been around those people where you could see what they they're do doing. exist mm-hmm. so are
2: we rooting for her because we feel sorry for her
0: i think it's like watching a uh a disturbing what, what do you call it like a car crash like you you just watch this go downhill i i i think you know, we keep comparing her to Larry David's character in his Caribbean enthusiasm show, but I think she's very different from him. Yep. Like,
1: yes, oh no, I she mean, is. I think it's a, mm-hmm. it's just a similar, similar shows, but um.
0: right, because Larry is speaking sort of the truth that we all feel but will never express, right? But he's doesn't give a shit because he is rich and retired and he's cranky, so he says these things. And I, I know, I love Larry David. Even though we do have an episode, I hate Lyra David, but I always love Lyra David. Um, but but for her, I think it's like she she's not you know she's not social she's not emotionally smart. She cannot read people like at, at all, and she doesn't care about the little you know persons in like in Hollywood. Meaning the gaffer's name, the PA's name, she keeps constantly messing that up. <laughs> And of course, at that point, you know, guys, is the closest person she is in television. I would say to like, so we compare it to Larry David. I would say the closest she comes to is Selena Meyer. And Selena Meyer always acts like she won at the end, like in any Veep episode. And I'm also like rewatching Veep as we speak. Um, But she's as fucking clueless about the world around her and how it works. And so is Valerie. But Valerie also has no self esteem. Uh, and that is the big difference. That is the genius of this character that she created.
2: And she's always the way she's always trying to make. She turns everything into something about herself.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, Selena Meyer. I the, mean,
2: bringing the cast photos in, saying oh, everything she tries to turn around into something about her. Yeah, to reminding everybody, "Hey,
1: re- I exist. I, I was. I'm important." Is like her constant. Uh,
2: <laughs> like when they're on need. the plane and. Just them interviewing the other character. And then she comes back from first class just so she doesn't want to be left out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's
1: willing to go into coach for that reason, (laughs) like just to show herself.
0: During, uh, I think, uh, whatever, how do you call it? The air disturbance. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is her crawling on the floor is great. Yeah, I think we like her because, one, like, I think a character doesn't need to be likable or good. Mm -hmm. They need to be interesting. And she checks all the interesting boxes. She's always making an interesting choice. And I don't think she's – and I actually don't think she's necessarily coming any time from malice. You know, she's never doing anything, like, overtly evil necessarily. It's usually just, like, coming from a place of fear.
2: And that's very, like, relatable. At heart, she's kind. She gives them the gifts. She makes them cookies. She's trying to always do nice things, but from a selfish (sighs) perspective. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. like she's
0: doing these nice things because this is what they did on i'm it yeah. i'm it like you know her big show so she wants to recreate it all the little customs all the little closeness she wants to knit with uh her new um like you know other other actors and her new in her new show she's using this dated outdated ways to do it when yeah. there's also uncalled for things she does and uh, it, you know those are the best moments when she makes the keys uh that don't Lead to nowhere, but they're like cute and they describe personality of each. And, <laughs> Even you people know, she hates.
1: The first show I uh, I wrote on, they made us keys like that because it was called Apartment Three Hundred Five. <laughs> that makes they sense us though. Keys afterwards. But that makes was like,
0: sense.
1: I was like, this is adorable, you know.
0: <laughs> I guess it did for her too, right? Because she was the landlord on the on the sitcom. um I mean, there's there. It's it's incredible. So I don't know. If, in case we need to go over. Uh, anything else that happens in Episodes 2 and 3? Uh, Paul, you seem like to have everything. Well, can I head. talk about a
2: one general thing? I don't know if you Please. picked up. The thing that stands out to me that I didn't understand, which was Paulie G. <laughs> <I can> under- <laughs> he's, so, he's got such animosity towards her that yeah. it's so obvious, especially in Episode 2 in the hotel room season, and it's just never explained. Yeah, it, just, it is interesting. Just come so out of pa- nowhere.
1: I, yeah, so- I I didn't watch the rest of it, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I do have mm-hmm. working theories on that.
0: Yeah. So Paul G. Let's just we, so we keep our listeners up to speed. Paul G. is a youngish, you know, schlubby, uh, ac- uh, writer, one of the head writers, uh, co-creators of the sitcom that Valerie, uh, room and board. yeah, gets Room and Board, and he is. He thinks he's a genius. He's a graduate of Harvard, I believe. And, I mean, it just, like, checks out with a lot of things that, like, people out there. Especially, like, in the world where pre-Me Too, where you just can be a total asshole anywhere you go as a dude. And, like, just be like, I'm from fucking Harvard. Everybody suck it. Yeah, um,
2: an Emmy for an an episode of The Simpsons that they wrote on. Right. Yeah, so
1: I think it's, like, this dude who I've even seen in other TV shows. Mm -hmm. um, The writer character who's, like, probably a great writer probably very good has um affirmed his his talent through an emmy and through jobs but now he's stuck in the system and like realizing oh all this like talent or importance that i think i have is going into room and board like this shit sitcom and here he is like almost stuck in this world where he has to write this Really, thing that's maybe actually beneath him. Maybe he just thinks it's beneath him. So he's going to act that way. So it's just like classic entitled writer instead of enjoying the the opportunity that i would love i'd be like dude i want to write for room and board I'd- i can see
2: that but he's nice to everybody else it's just the way he treats value well i think I it's think- because
0: of the reality camera like the tv cameras right, right. so a lot of they times you're like, that. why do they hate her so much right away mm. and you're like she's unlikable like but like why do they hate her so much or it's because of the cameras immediately directed at them right and the reality tv is already considered trash at that point in history yeah so it's like think this, yeah. Mm-hmm. They they Go
1: see ahead. it. How would you see that if someone who just walks in, you're working on the TV show, they walk in with cameras, you are immediately going to think, oh, this person's full of themselves. They wanted this, mm-hmm. even though that's not the truth. Yeah. she wouldn't really want it. So I think everybody has this attitude towards her that she's trying to be Paris Hilton. She wants to be Paris Hilton, but the tragedy is she doesn't want this. Uh, the the reality part, but it's also what's bringing her down because people are having that idea, preconceived idea of who she is because of it. So I think she's one playing into being the like former star, like oh I'm really good, everybody respect me. Plus she has these cameras. For him, that's like okay, no, I love these other people are down to earth, they're fun, but you're this prima donna coming in demanding script things getting in our face and having cameras i think why wouldn't you hate her if that's all you knew of her which is what we can assume he does
0: yeah i think he he hates his life at that point in his life his job because he thinks he should be writing something better instead of cheesy sitcom that it's constantly on the verge of being canceled the moment it, you know aired and um and then he hates the reality TV show aspect that she carries this entourage, uh, walks around with the entourage of people and cameras pointed at everyone, and he probably like just also yeah doesn't want to deal with the diva. Uh, that's 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 my guess for. But yeah. he still of course is an asshole guy. Like there's no question about it. Oh, he's yeah. incredibly assholey. Like I'm actually more curious what's going on to t- with Tom, the other executive producer. Who kind of accommodates her, but then like he also really doesn't like her, but he kind of handles it with more quote unquote civility. What are what are your thoughts on all that, Paul? What do you feel about those two guys? Like, wh- how do you? What are these well, actors or characters? Um,
2: I know, for me, I definitely felt like the the G is still it's it's addressed <laughs> in season two. And that's the kind of backbone of season Mm -hmm. two's relationship. But for me, it still kind of stands out as something that it's the unsettling element from season one. But you definitely feel that the other guy is the one who's managing her and Mm -hmm. is tempering her expectations. Uh, He's the one who's writing for her when she gets her own episode later in Mm -hmm. the series, um, which then leads them to retool the whole show. So (laughs) I definitely feel that. He's the one, he's carrying the the weight of, dealing mm-hmm. with this uh, this reality TV actress. Mm.
0: I was just going to say, sp- speaking of different characters, the um, famous TV director that we brought up who tells Valerie, uh, like, what's up? Like, he tells her, like, dude, like, we already mentioned a couple of things, like, you're not it or whatever, and this is not your show. The reality show is your show. Um, he is like a sage character. It's very interesting that, like, he's the only one... Well, he's the only one he's one of the two people on the whole season one that tell Valerie what's up like really tell her right so it's him but she doesn't listen she just blocks it out it's that Hollywood thing of like some like I want to say yoga people and like I teach yoga and I do yoga but I'd say yoga people <laughs> in the maybe Instagrammy way
2: mm, yeah like
0: of like oh this like I just got hit in the face with a bunch of you know bag of bricks but I'm still grateful. But it's like, w- w- what, what is going on? Like, this is not real human experience. Like, that's not how you process your emotions. But there's that thing that's going on, right? Like, no, if I smile, everything is fine. And she does that, mm-hmm. right? She buries everything in. And so the second character, do you, Paul, do you know who I'm talking about? Who tells her is, is what's up, right? In season one. I, I think I would say that that's the uh, friend wife of uh, her husband's friend who has cancer and like since she had cancer oh, yes. she's like yes. I don't give a shit. So yeah. Valerie and her husband go to Palm Springs of course with reality TV uh, crew and then they meet this you know meet up with the friends of theirs and she recently had cancer and since then she's like I don't give a fuck. I tell the world what's up and she tells Valerie, look. <laughs> she's like you have to stop caring so much about what people think.
2: Yeah, I made a note. That's episode eight where she called out at the pool for mm-hmm. trying to control everything.
0: Yeah, she's like, You have to stop thinking, uh, caring so much about what people think. And I thought to myself, I should too. Like, I should mm-hmm. too. And I think that's where those are the moments where we connect with Valerie, I think. Where we were like, Well, maybe I am a little bit of a Valerie. That's at least mm-hmm. to me, maybe because I'm a woman. Um, no, 100%. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. I've I've had those moments, like just watching her and being like, oh yeah, I've had with my like my writing or whatever, mm-hmm. just like trying to show the world, hey, remember I mm-hmm. exist? Like, am I good? Hey, here's an accolade I had, you know? And you're just like, wait, yeah. why am I doing that? This is probably really <sighs> annoying and ugly. All right, I'm
0: glad we all felt that way. I don't know, Paul, have, did you did you connect with any of those moments emotionally? Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. good because I. I <laughs> You kind of bummed me out, right? I think that's another <laughs> moment that bums you out. As a performer, as a writer, right? Like, if you're dealing with this, um, you all, like you're constantly dealing with rejection, and it's like everybody has different ways of dealing with rejection, and mm. hers is not the best or the healthiest, but this is what she's got. This is all she's got right now. Because and- we, stop,
2: we start in season, episode one, with um, the, 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 the wall with the pictures on, saying she's living in the past. And then yeah. I mean, they had the water damage at the end and now the damage, the frame. <laughs> and now she just wants to live in those memories. And as you said, Joe, recreate them with all these mm-hmm. gifts and try kind of relive uh, those golden days. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's brought back at the end with the Jay Leno. And uh, she caused an incident with a monkey the first time she was on. Then there was the vomit the second time she's on at the end of the season. So <laughs> it, it bookends nicely with, with the Jay Leno thing at least.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of spoilers for the season, but you guys, yeah. even if, if, we, if you're listening and if you haven't watched this uh, show, give it, a, give, it a, give it a watch because it's not really about so much about, <laughs> about the story, although the story is brilliantly written. And it's in pr- just tremendous arcs of characters for each character, for most characters. Apology, I'd say there's not a lot of arc, um, yeah. at least in season one. But it, it is all about those moments in between, right? There's just a moment of her just being awkwardly on camera and dealing, uh, w- w- you know, with the crew being and the TV crew being in her bedroom or something like that. Wow! So I to me- not- mm-hmm. go ahead, I ask
2: more difficult. How do you think they, a More difficult question. How do you think they dealt with the the, uh, the sexism in the industry? Because we had like it's paired with Entourage, which is a whole different take mm-hmm. from the male perspective, and now she's a vulnerable female trying to make this comeback at a more let's say sensitive age according to her and then she's also attacked by all the sexism that she's experiencing as well
0: it was very like cringe cringy right what do you think like just watching her you know i mean she's not a great person let's put it that way but the way people were oftentimes attacking her in on the studio lot man you'd be like well this is feels so real and horrible that if anybody's gone through that, I feel for them that they lived at the time when that was okay. <laughs> because, mm, yeah. I mean, people easily, you know, I mean, what is the great sort of moment that she realizes, Paul, how the writers feel about her?
2: Um, when she's coming to bring them uh, mm-hmm. cookies, and then they're all. Were they fucking a doll and making fun of her? That or way? like
0: they—they they have I think one of the guy's she couldn't remember his name and she's actually he's actually supervising producer. Like they quickly just show like she couldn't remember his name and she called him Barry and they're like yeah Barry important, um, uh, and 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 they, they put like a red T-shirt on his. Uh, Head to imitate like her red hair, because her like nickname is red. And uh and they, apology G in the writer's room at 2 a.m. pretends that he's butt fucking her. And uh of course, instead of facing this disrespectful and insulting moment, uh Valerie just swallows and said, Oh, they're just horsing around.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's... you know, guys, yeah, yeah, go yeah, ahead. But-
1: I didn't get to see a lot of uh, that stuff, obviously, just in the first three episodes, but it's interesting, the cloud of sexism that's there, even without anything necessarily directly at her, just with even, like, the America's Next Porn Mm -hmm. Star and, like, the um the way they're what's written on the page for the women mm-hmm. on the on the sitcom you know it's the wet t-shirt Look at those contest.
0: puppies or whatever yeah, yeah like
1: a wet t-shirt contest is part of the pilot episode
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> and that of, line that i haven't been licked like that since 1973 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you think is this that's kind of a i don't know if you saw that episode joe that's kind of a, a risque so. line for a for a sitcom as well
0: yeah, I think they're crossing some lines, yeah. HBO style. I don't <laughs> I don't think there's any of that would have been airing. Uh and also like you like assume you're they're recording uh, they're, they're taping, they are taping on the on taping the show, they do a lot of different buttons and that's one of the buttons. But yeah, but I think they do end up using it, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Well, I think that's important when we talk about Comeback and we are almost done talking about Comeback, I think, but to mention to mention BoJack Horseman.
2: I was just about to a- Mash Perfect.
0: that up with you. <laughs> okay, then, then you do yeah. it. Then you no, do no, it, No, I was call. just going to
2: say, it's a weird mashup of these, how they, they dealt with in the same way. But the Valerie, what's, go- I think, good, she never, ba- she never battled with, ad- apparently, never battled with addiction. She was never a smoker or a drinker. She may be an occasional smoker, but that was the positive side, I think. which mm-hmm. was very more of internalized, uh, unfulfilled dreams that she had.
0: Yeah, BoJack Horseman, of course, is a Netflix uh, animated show, and it's as famously has like okay pilot. But in, in, like I saw a panel with the crea- show's creator, and he wasn't even like big big fan of you know the way pilot was written because he was such a you know young writer at the time when he created. It. But of course, it's an amazing like show. Now, I mean, I'm. I love that show. And it's so much about the inside, um, inside Hollywood, like inside Hollywood. And it is also about the aging star who is trying to have his big comeback, right? Who just happens to be a horse, but that's not important because everything else is very real. And I mean, they they go hand in hand. And I think because Bojack Horseman is a very popular show, it makes me think that this is another proof why the comeback was ahead of its time. Yeah, I think that's a
1: great way to describe it.
0: Yeah, so like, it just never time. found the audience because people were just not prepared for it. I think people were still, like, looking at it and be like, what is this? Like, what am I watching? Like, is like, a reality show? Is it making fun of reality show? No, it was making f- fun of or exposing, like, the guts of Hollywood. Like, yeah. really, the guts of Hollywood and the souls that... uh <laughs> Broken Souls in Hollywood, even, guys. and then
2: the, Did you guys, uh, did you even know about the second season, which they made, you know, nine years later in t- 2014?
0: Right. And that's incredible that it was made. And I, I, I suspect that Lisa Kudrow, and if you're listening, Lisa Kudrow, please give us a shout out. Love you, Lisa. Um, yeah, we, we know you're a fan of the show. <laughs> but please tell us, um, <laughs> tell us if you really do love the show the way I think you love the show. Because what the Wikipedia page tells me, is <laughs> tells everybody not just me that um she constantly tried to like get another season of the show like it's show dear close and dear to her heart and she she was even trying to get a third season going and of course earlier second season going and it just like never worked never worked and they like even i think in like last year maybe 2020 maybe i hope 2019 um they had a reunion like they constantly have a reunion and there's there's a there's a lot of fans out there of the show and it's 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 i don't know guys it's very interesting how it all worked out how this brilliant show only had two seasons two very
2: desperately timed seasons which is crazy because that's what we think about um uk sitcoms is that they Mm -hmm. are so brilliant because they're so short and Mm self-contained and you think what there's only 13 episodes of faulty tower or mr bean you think, how can something so small have such a huge cultural impact?
0: I know. Exactly.
2: And uh, Sally Forever, it, which I think you recommended. And that's only of seven oh, episodes, so but good. it's amazing.
0: <laughs> oh, So good. Or, I mean, or Peep Show, though, like would exist for multiple seasons. And it's, it's a very brilliant show. Or another show I would recommend if, you know, like Sally Forever, I would say the pulling is, pulling is the best. Like it's Sharon Horgan and it's best before even catastrophe forget about catastrophe if you like catastrophe definitely watch pulling but if you didn't like catastrophe give pulling a chance either way um but yeah and then i it makes me think of like how i i write a pilot give it to my rep and he says well what if the uh, season four is gonna look like episode five and i'm like Ooh, and that's when yeah I get upset yeah. i think
1: it's it's really funny because the entertainment industry is stupid it's full <laughs> it's so of stupid. things that are stupid. So it's like we play by a rule book that is like for the stupidest game you've ever heard of, mm-hmm. but we stick to that rule book. So yeah, when we write pilots, we'll write a shitty pilot just so that it can look like it could last eight seasons that it'll never get. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just so much stupidity to it all.
0: Um, Unless you're a star. <laughs> and if you're a star who creates a show then you can have a short lived or whatever nobody gonna give you notes it can suck and people still watch it <clears throat> but um if you're trying to just create a good show it has to fit all those yeah like yeah if
1: you're nobody who's <coughs> who's just trying to get it get it made
0: mm-hmm. well um this has been uh, an amazing conversation paul is there anything else you'd like to add before we move on to the final part of this episode which is scale making a scale
2: uh not that i can think of uh, just that right. uh, yeah, i really enjoyed re I, I think it's my third time re-watching the season nice uh, you pick up so much more but i just i uh, think the more you know the more you appreciate the show well, from you
0: everybody. grew you grew wiser than the second time you saw the show or the first
2: For sure, you
0: started your own improv school, I assume, or improv (laughs) theater. Um, Great. All right. Well, let's do the scale then, shall we? This is my scale uh, sound effect. So, in this show, yeah, perfect. In this show, we uh, create a scale, individual scale, where we rate the show we're talking about or the subject we're talking about against something else. Who wants to start? Joe, do you have anything?
1: Yeah, I've got something. And I do want to mention I I did not know it was a mockumentary style show mm-hmm. going into it. I think I would have actually been more excited about it because when I did hear the premise or I've, you know, known about the premise, I pictured a Bojack Horseman, I pictured so, something along that arena and it I wasn't like super stoked to see it. But I think that would have excited me more to see it and given me more of an idea and entry point Mm -hmm. of what it is. Because once I realized, oh, they're filming a reality show that is part of the show, then I was immediately more intrigued just while watching it. So I don't know what got lost in the translation of that. Maybe the IMDb page synopsis does say it's a mockumentary. Maybe not. But um, just wanted to mention that um but overall i did really like the show but i think there's a just for me a bias of watching and shows about the entertainment industry mm-hmm. that i'm either going to like it or just kind of be turned off by it because i hate to be reminded of the shitty part of what i do and what i'm getting into <laughs> as a writer totally. so uh There's parts of that that, like, no matter how good it is, is a little off-putting. And it is a little cringe. Um, So even a show, like, it really reminds me of, like, Will Forte's work in Last Man on Earth. Where there's episodes where I had to stand up and pace while watching it. (laughs) um, Yeah. (laughs) It's one of my
0: favorite shows of all time, by the way.
1: Yeah, like, I, I... couldn't and uh my girlfriend's an actress and she was like i don't want to watch this show and i'm glad she didn't um so there's all of that which is unfortunate but let's say my skating skating my rating scale is going to be i'm going to give a 10 to uh curb your enthusiasm because it is um i think a little lesser about the entertainment industry than even this show is just slightly um, but is super cringe as well, so I think there it's a good marker um i'm gonna give the show a seven oh, okay. I don't quite like it as much as uh something like Kirby Enthusiasm, but I think a lot of that is just coming into the bias of my own personal bias of like ooh, I don't wanna see like the inside of a sitcom uh, which I would like to be in. I would like to be one of those right. writers. Oh, I'd I I,
0: love to be apology in apology's place. No question. Yeah,
1: and I fear it, I'm just like, oh, that's how it looks, and I, I hate. It is that. upsetting. Yeah. It is
0: upsetting because, and uh, yeah, and are you are you done with your your piece or? Uh, is,
1: pretty is much. More? Yeah, I think that's that's about it. I think I would um I will probably finish this season, but slowly.
0: Mm-hmm. Slow, slow. It's slow viewing for you. For me, it was binge. You know, it is interesting. I, the first time I saw a Comeback. I saw it with my husband, aforementioned husband, and you know he's worked in Hollywood a lot longer than I have, even though we're almost same age. But he, you know, knowing that I'm going into this episode, I said, "Jay, what is your memory? What are your memories about this, this show?" And he's like, "It is really incredible." He's like, "How it's about like mediocrity and just like things that you recognize." come from working day to day in Hollywood like on the studio a lot, you recognize those little things that maybe like I wouldn't pick up on you know, like for example he like I don't know, it just, I thought it was funny so I'll bring it up he talks about the, so Valerie gets her episode, like she basically forces the writers to write an episode for her in order to avoid the scandal like sex, whatever, the sexual harassment scandal
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and she gets this episode but the cool director wouldn't direct it so like he's unavailable or he doesn't want to direct it because he didn't like the script the sage director he's not there so she brings in the director from i'm it and he comes in and he hasn't worked in years (laughs) and he looks up at her and says i don't know his wife christine became an alcohol he's a Christine became an alcoholic and she started beating me so I've been through a lot and of course Valerie doesn't know how to react to somebody telling her something real that's happening in their life but what Jay noticed my husband noticed he's like he's like the funny thing is like he is the pushover director that anything like he has the director has to have make choices that's the only thing the is supposed to do on the TV set he does not stand by his choices so he like he's like I think he's like somebody says um, should we shoot it by the curtain? And then like some guy off, says off, off camera, or should we ch- shoot it by the chair? He's like, by the chair it is. <laughs> and then they highlighted Would the PA come over and say, we're taking lunch orders. And the director says, oh, you know, there's a very nice salmon they make in this little cafe around the corner. I'd love that. He's like, we're getting pizza. He's like, pizza it is. Pizza it is. <laughs> and so it's a great description of like that kind of guy. I don't know. I thought it was funny to hear from Jay, like how, like the little things that sometimes yeah. he runs in those kind of di- directors that mm-hmm. become successful because they're yes man, which is complete opposite yeah, of what yeah, his yeah. job is, which is incredible <laughs> to me. Like that this is the only industry where by doing the opposite of what you do you become more successful. So, I'm going to th- go do the same thing and I'm going to compare it against um Kirby enthusiasm which is a 10 for me because I love Larry David. Hi Larry, friend of the show. And if this is a 10, Larry, da- Larry David is a 10, then Comeback is a 10.
2: Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: it's just a different 10. It's just a different kind of tent, Mm -hmm. but they're both tense and they, like, love each other. And, like, Bojack Horseman's probably a a good nine, because sometimes I'm like, I don't know, dude. But, like, still, really solid show. So, as much as I'm, like, not, like, out there looking for Hollywood stories to watch, these are fucking great shows. They're about human condition and how sad it is to be a human. Paul, what about you?
2: Okay, uh, two moments. I think one is the... the it's in my wrapping up speech, the Tom Selleck moment when he calls her or we think we don't actually know. <laughs> we don't know. It's the, it's the only time in the series where she didn't have it on speakerphone. Mm-hmm. So we're not no. quite sure. And then there's a late reveal about her character that kind of changes your perspective, which is she was a girl who grew up with a back brace. Mm-hmm. And that it kind of changes you. Think, okay, what yeah. kind of person would maybe that teen girl turn out to be? But yeah, it's the quite trauma. late in season one, mm-hmm. yeah, that she the needs approval. That, she needs attention. That's
0: yeah. mm-hmm. incredible. So, that is an incredible moment. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Do I have to use the curb scale?
0: No, you don't. You can, you can put anything you want on scale. You can throw a bunch of shit. You can do curb. I'm going to say else.
2: 10 being how-to with John Wilson. Mm. oh nice
0: wow wow i just saw the pilot very good very good oh
2: wait until you, okay <laughs>
0: all right all right yeah that's <laughs> a whole other
1: conversation we could talk another 20 about how to with john wilson <laughs> yeah
0: i know joe got excited because he recommended me that i watched it <laughs>
2: 10 being a how to with john wilson i'm gonna say this is a nine mm. season one season one is a nine
0: okay s- season two what about season two
2: Season two of The Comeback is a bit of a different type of tone, mm. I think, because the distance of the character and time mm-hmm. is a little bit different. But I'm going to give the original standalone season one and this nine out of John Wilson's.
0: Look, you can throw a Curb on it as well, because I'm curious to hear where, where Curb lives.
2: I would say probably an eight out of Curb.
0: Wow. It's incredible. Wow. Great, and Bojack Horseman. Do you watch it at all, or it's not
2: your thing? I do, but I I hate the opening credits of Bojack Horseman. I so I skip
0: it, I skip intro every time.
2: Yeah, mm. uh, I think there's some magic in Bo, but it goes on a bit too long. Uh, the ma- mm. the magic should have been a bit shorter. I Interesting. Think. I've have only watched a couple British? episodes. Yeah. Did yeah. not really care all for right. it.
0: All right. animation guys is hard as a person who just written animation pilot and my manager did not love it i'm telling you here animation is hard (laughs) but oh my god what a great discussion i like i I am really pumped because i I i'm really grateful paul that you told i'm actually grateful i'm really ungrateful i'm very grateful as a yoga person that i am that you told us to watch uh comeback because it gave me so much joy and and it made me like feel all the pain of the world watching it. So I thank you for that. I
2: feel like we killed all the comedy out of the show.
0: Yeah, I don't know if we actually made it exciting for people to, li- to watch. Like, I don't, I don't think so. I, it, we probably turned off some people from watching this show. But that was not our intention. What do you think? Hard to um, say. All right. Well, Paul, is there anything we should know about? People can find you or is it all, is it all secret your secret life you live in the place that I don't know about.
2: There's no secret. Hey, I'm just <laughs> launching an, a, a, <laughs> you know, I love long form improv. Uh, so I'm launching a long form improv school in South Africa in the next couple amazing. of months. It's amazing, uh, amazing. I planned to do it last year, but COVID, of course, uh, oh. messed all of that up. Um, and it, as much as I like improvising online, it's not quite the same. It's not the same as forming mm-hmm. a human connection with someone. So I'm using the chance to really sort of the foundations, and understand what I want to build um, when we come out of this, because it will be. That's soon. great,
0: and it's a great time to take it in, and then hopefully, when the world comes back to normal, just put it all out and create stuff again. Joe, yeah. what about you? What do, what do you got going? uh Check out
1: my Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Joe cabello My first issue of my new horror comic, Bottoms Up, is out. So even if you're woo, like, woo. ooh, a dollar. Subscribe on Patreon for a dollar a month, you get a thirty plus page comic book plus on, all my rice. other stuff. It's actually stupid what you get for the price.
0: It is stupid.
1: It's it's a little ridiculous, but it's there. So check it out. And lot. if you don't want to subscribe, there's also, you know, my gumboard store which'll have all my comics as well if you want to pay more for the comics. But check it out.
0: Yeah, guys, you should check it out as a happy subscriber person who actually does read uh, all the stuff that Joe sends. I'm I'm very pleased, very pleased. It makes, makes my day a lot of times.
1: Oh, I'm happy to hear that.
0: And uh, I'm going to start teaching TV writing at Script Anatomy, the best, uh, I think, TV writing school in the universe. But it's the classes are not open yet for me, but I will let you know when they do. Well, well, thank you, guys. Thank That's you so much, Paul, for coming. Thank you very much. Thank you. Keep that bass going, dude. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you, Joe, for hosting. Of
1: course, 2021.
0: 2021, y'all. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year. Thanks to you, Elizabeth Salute for artwork. Thank you, as I walk away. Thank you, thank you, Bri Walker, for this amazing song. And thank you for listening.